Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, Inflation is the Most Miserable Tax of All. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy from a free market standpoint or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And so today we're going to talk about the misery of inflation, and I'm joined today in the studio by our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. Tom, I'm glad we're doing this because inflation covers a lot of topics, but we're focusing right now on sort of one specific aspect of it, and that's that misery index. Yeah, you know, I don't want to spend this entire podcast uh, reminding everyone of how old I am or how old you are, but uh, you and I both remember the misery index, don't we? We do, and and you point out that it, st- it started in the 1960s, but I remember when Jimmy Carter brought it up. Mm-hmm. On the misery index, and it was uh, he he brought it up as a challenge to Gerald Ford, if I, as I remember, and then it just exploded under Jimmy Carter. Yep. Uh, and when we talk about the misery index, I mean we 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 come to this topic because we want to talk a little bit about inflation because inflation is back. Yes, it is. Uh, these statistics are very discouraging. Many of us have wondered for years why inflation did not come back sooner because of the government spending and debt and the inflation, the expansion of the government monetary supply and it's things been a like topic, that. It's been a topic among economists now for more than a decade. Given all the money that the Federal Reserve has pumped into the economy, mm-hmm. why has inflation stayed so low? And it has stayed pretty low. There's a, a website. Of course, there's a website for everything. There's a website called inflationdata.com. And the entire website is simply about inflation. And they chart what's been going on recently in inflation. February's inflation rate was 20% higher than January's, which was unusual. March's inflation skyrocketed, according to inflationdata.com, over February's. And then in April, inflation was up sharply from March. And that's a bad pattern. In fact, the Federal Reserve Bank which has as their stated policy to encourage a small amount of regular inflation, I think around 2%. Around 2%. Yeah. The Federal Reserve Bank reports that the level of inflation in April was more than twice its target rate. So much for this idea that you can, that you can create and control and manage inflation. Well, of course, one of the issues here, and we don't know yet, is there are supply uh, chain challenges and other things. People are jumping back into the market and buying things. So there is some discussion that some of this inflation could be temporary and could end up uh, trailing off after a little while. But if you're increasing wages and you're doing a number of things to address this, nobody's going to want to see their wages cut in the near future. No, that's right. And and you're correct. It's It's, you know, it's not that unexpected that part of coming out of the COVID pandemic would be the idea of too much money chasing too few goods, right? Or too much money chasing too few employees. And part of the reason there's too much money is because the government keeps handing out money right. to people. Well, we, we are absolutely going to talk about that. <laughs> but that's, that, that's, that's, uh, that's another right. issue. Exactly. Um, and when you talk to businesses, businesses are have, they're reporting two different problems. They're reporting, first of all, that 
the cost of their supplies have gone dramatically up. Mm -hmm. And so that's some of this price inflation that we're talking about. Restaurants and grocery stores are reporting an 8 to 10% increase in the cost of food. Uh, Builders are having not only higher prices, but supply shortages of things like lumber and plastic even, plastic pipe parts and things like that for, for plumbing. Uh, and consumers have been anecdotally reporting higher prices at the grocery store for some months. And that's simply the sort of price inflation that we're talking about, much less this, the the normal sort of monetary inflation that we talk about when the government is just dumping money into the economy. And some of that price inflation may begin to taper off a little bit as production ramps up of semiconductors and a whole bunch of other things. We just don't know. So some of that may be temporary, but I, my doubt, my, my guess is some of it is not temporary. And I, and I think in general, you're already in a bad spot when you're hoping inflation is temporary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you mentioned the misery index at the beginning of the podcast, so let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, The misery index is simply the inflation rate added to the unemployment rate. It's just that simple. And and this has been charted since the 1960s. And, of course, you can understand why it's called the misery index. If you have high unemployment and high inflation, that's a pretty lousy situation. And, of course, uh, the decade of the 1970s is widely regarded as one of the most miserable decades in recent history, not only because so much of the music was bad and so much of the clothes were bad, but because of the runaway inflation that was experienced all throughout the decade of the 1970s. You know, I remember a friend being, he he went out and bought a house and he got, a, if I remember right, a 15% interest rate, and he thought he was doing well with mm-hmm. 15% interest rate. Yeah, I think interest rates got as high as 17 or 18% at the, at the real peak of the high interest rates. And people listening to this podcast today who are trying to refinance their mortgages at two and a quarter percent and things like that could probably think, how could anyone afford to buy a home if the mortgage rates are 15 to 17 percent? And yes, that's precisely the problem. So the misery index is this combination of the employment rate and the inflation rate. Interestingly enough, the misery index reached its all-time low in September of 2019. And that was 5.21%. But if you think about it, in September of 2019, we had historically low unemployment. Mm -hmm. And we also still had an inflation rate that was negligible. And frankly, that as you mentioned, people were puzzling about why it wasn't higher than it was. Right. We understood why unemployment rate was so low, because we had good economic policies that were driving people to work and increasing the economy, growing the economy and so forth. Mm -hmm. But you would have you would have thought based upon standard economic theory that that would have sort of had upper pressure on the inflation rate. And it just wasn't really happening. No. And and you'll you'll commonly hear this in the economic press, this idea of like an economy overheating Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I think, you know, we should mention that we don't really believe that an economy can overheat. I mean, if you have the right economic policies in place, there's no reason why why an economy can't continue to grow at, you know, 4%, 3%, 5% for a sustained amount of time uh, without necessarily causing inflation or other things like that. And I think there's a sense in which that experience of ni- of 2019 sort of proves that. And I think we would also argue that part of why the economy was in such great shape there was the administration, the Trump administration's policies, the tax reform, mm-hmm. uh, the deregulation, the elimination of all sorts of environmental regulations, the mm-hmm. encouragement of 
oil and gas exploration and uh, the allowing of the export exporting of oil for the first time since the 70s. And I would argue that those tax policies, especially lowering the corporate income tax, encouraged businesses to, if they had offshored to come back, mm-hmm. if they're coming back, they're hiring Americans to work. Right. And that helps lower the unemployment rate. Right. Of course, that was all pre-COVID-19 pandemic, and you would expect that because of the government lockdowns and and business closures and things like that, that the misery index would spike upward, and indeed it did. But what's interesting is that now, with the economy opening back up, with employment still higher than, with unemployment still higher than we would like it to be, Mm -hmm. but, you know, nowhere near as bad as it was in, say, 2020, uh, you would expect the misery index to come back down, but instead it's hovering around 10.26%. And the reason for that is the return of inflation. It's that April, you know, four plus percent inflation rate that we experience. You have a declining unemployment rate that's gone down to about 6.1%, mm-hmm. uh, where it was over 10%. But if inflation starts ticking up, you right. add the two together and you still get a high number. Exactly. Now, just for historical comparisons, the the all-time high of the misery index was 21.98% in June of 1980. Now, this is the time period that we were just talking about when mortgage rates were so high and all of that. And correct me if I'm wrong, that's about four or five months before Ronald Reagan is elected. That's right. This is the the depths of discouragement and malaise from the Jimmy Carter administration. And just a few months later, Ronald Reagan was elected. And in six short years— the misery index dropped from 21.98% all the way down to 7.7% because of Ronald Reagan's policies. The control of the money supply, the tax cuts, and all of the economic growth that happened. And just just so people remember, that was painful for people because you had that high inflation rate. Uh, and when you started lowering that down, and the Fed does this consciously, mm-hmm. it it cost people jobs and other things, but they had to get it under control. Oh, it it, it caused a, it outright caused a recession in the first two years of the Reagan administration, but they knew that they had to get that under control. Now, we have so far in this discussion, we have blamed high misery indexes on government policy, and we've credited low misery indexes on government policy, and I think that's correct. And I think the way we bring this home now is that I think we would also say that it is government policy that's bringing inflation back today. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, for instance, the just amount of money without getting too technical, the amount of money that is circulating in the economy that is printed or otherwise manufactured by the Treasury, that's called the money supply. And it has increased just since 2016, just since Donald Trump was elected it's increased by 47%. That's a huge increase in the money supply over just a very short amount of time. Uh, and it has the money supply has more than doubled. It's, it's increased by more than 100%. It's, about, it's around about 120% since just 2010 in just 10 years. So that is a shocking and striking increase in the money supply. And, of course, as Milton Friedman taught us, inflation is a monetary phenomenon. So if you're going to dump that much new currency, if you're going to increase the size of the money supply that big, uh, it's going to cause inflation. And I think that's that's the primary reason that we're starting to see this happening right now. Now, the other interesting thing, of course, is that ever since the COVID-19 pandemic started, we've been having these huge federal spending bills, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, if you go back prior to that under the Obama administration, you had this this big $900 billion 
stimulus bill, right? In February 2009. Yes, and that was the one that supposedly had all the shovel-ready projects in it and everything. And at that point, I think that was the biggest economic stimulus bill, quote-unquote, that had ever been passed. And it was considered a lot of money. It was considered a lot. It was a lot of money, but it was really sort of shocking how much money that was. And that was only a few years ago. That that didn't even hit a trillion dollars. And then, as you were pointing out to me earlier today, there have been three massive COVID-19 relief bills. Right. There was one done early in the pandemic during March the Trump of 2020. Right. And then there was one done just at the very end of 2020. December 2020. So you had you had two during the during 2020 alone and then we've already had one massive uh trillion dollar plus COVID relief bill that has been done during the Biden administration right. in 2021. And- then you also have this phenomenon going on, and again, we don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, but with the Federal Reserve building up its balance sheet, basically going out and buying up a ton of debt, right? both corporate debt and still bad mortgage debt from the mortgage meltdown and all of that. And if you wonder, you know, just at a very sort of basic level, where does the government get all this money to spend all this money? That's why the money supply has increased so much, because they've had to essentially print the money or manufacture manufacture the money in order to do all the spending. And of course they don't actually print it. They just put it on the books. Right. So it just, they it just, just, it's, it's all accounting. Dig- yeah. It goes, it's goes in, it's digital now, right? It's just a digital entry, but that's, you know, you can't, government can't just spend all this money from nowhere. They, they, they have to come up with the money from somewhere. They've either got to borrow it from China or other countries, or they've got to in, increase the money supply. And when you look at a money supply that is, that is more than doubled in 10 years, that's what's been going on. Now, you, Dr. Matthews, mentioned a minute ago this idea of the labor shortage creating its own kind of inflation. Mm-hmm. And I think this is also a really important point that we want to make, because the only way to get more employees to come into the market is by employers offering higher and higher wages to try to attract the employees. And of course, those higher labor costs are going to be passed along to customers one way or the other. You can't just eat those higher labor costs. You've got to pass them on through. So, one of the questions is, why are employers having a hard time luring workers back into the job market? And I think the answer to this is something that you've talked about quite a bit before, and that is that the federal government right now is offering workers, in many cases, more money to sit home than they would make by entering by re-entering the job market with the additional federal unemployment that gets tacked on to the state unemployment that they already receive. Right. The, uh, the by one uh, assessment, about half of the unemployed right now are making more on the unemployment benefits, considering the state and federal benefits, mm-hmm. than they were making when they were working. So, if you're making that much and you just as soon not go back to work, it makes it really uh, affordable to be able to stay home. So you've literally got the the federal government inflating the money supply, enlarging the money supply in order to compete. In order to compete with private businesses, they're 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 sort of they're in a bidding war for these workers, and the federal government is outbidding them to get them to stay home, and rather that, than they're you know they're they're it's the government literally outbidding the private sector for these workers, and that creates the other type of inflation, which you I think you're going to talk about is the um, inflation of employers' wages. Exactly, exactly. If employ if if. You know, you start if this cycle starts with the government expanding the money supply and then paying higher unemployment to unemployed workers, and then the businesses have to pay them more to come back into the market, that raises the prices and the costs of goods and services to consumers. 
And then if those employers are making more money, they have more money to spend. And so you, you, you've almost got like this spiral of too much money chasing too few workers and too much money chasing too few goods and services. And this wage inflation is not an accident. You've had the left that has been pushing for years to get uh, essentially a $15 minimum wage. Mm-hmm. You've had several companies that ste- have stepped up and said, we're going to move our, all of our people up to at least a $15 minimum wage. And you get huge responses from, from that, from the employees that are glad about that. But uh, that has been, in essence, these companies seeing, seeing the handwriting on the wall of a Democratic administration, mm-hmm. they're going along with that. But... What that does is it pushes those prices higher, and you get almost every day somebody coming up, uh, some new company saying we're raising all of our minimum wage up to uh, fifteen to twenty dollars an hour, and that is a, that is a price inflation. There, they're not getting extra pro- productivity for that; they're just paying more for it. And I don't know that I'm so conspiratorial as to think that that that's purposeful. But on the other hand, we did hear President Biden just the other day addressing this topic and saying yes. the answer to it is is not to stop paying them too much unemployment. The answer to it is for employers to pay more. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So even though I agree with you, it's not conspiratorial, mm-hmm. but it is a sense in which I think they're looking at it now and saying, my goodness, we're handing out this money. You've got to make roughly, um, if you make under roughly $32,000, $34,000 a year, you are better off under, under the current system of state and federal employment benefits, that $300 a month check that's coming out. And unless your unless your employer is willing to offer you more than that, uh, you just may not decide to take it. And it may be um, that the ultimate tragedy here is that it is those very lower wage workers who are harmed the most by inflation. So it might at first seem like, oh boy, this is a windfall for them because they're being paid more, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's people who live from paycheck to paycheck that most or all of their money goes toward consumption. Uh, of goods, they're the ones who get the most hit by inflation. They're the ones who get the most harmed by inflation. So it may be like Christmas on the front end, but it's bad news on the back end. In fact, let's talk a little bit about sort of who wins and who loses from inflation. Um, if you want to talk about who benefits from inflation, it's it's people who are in debt, right? Because you buy your goodies at today's dollar value, Mm -hmm. and then you repay that debt months or years down the road with devalued currency. Right. So you're actually getting a better deal like that. Now, who's the biggest debtor in town? The federal government, right? So there really is a sense in which, and this is where I do get conspiratorial, there really is a sense in which the federal government has an incentive to drive inflation because it actually helps the federal government service its own huge debt problem because you can you you the federal government gets the goodies now and passes them along to the citizens of the country and then they will repay that debt or they will service that debt down the road with devalued currency of course where the federal government hits a stumbling block here is interest on the debt ends up going up right because of that inflation and so they have to, it may be with uh, with dollars that are less valuable than they were but it's still going to be a lot more money they're going to have to pay in interest yep and you and again another sort of accelerated vicious cycle that the federal government would find itself in now who loses from inflation well you do uh inflation is an insidious hidden tax and it shows up in everything you buy it erodes your savings because your savings is literally worth less six months from now than it is today. 
So this really hits seniors on fixed incomes. Hard. Absolutely. Absolutely it does. And it hurts savers and investors in another way, because whatever return you're getting on your savings and investment, some of that is not a real return. Some of that is just inflation. Right. But yet you're paying taxes on the inflated return of your savings, your investments, whether you're paying taxes on interest or dividends or whether you're paying capital gains taxes. A good bit of that supposed return on your investment is, is just inflation. But yet you're having to pay taxes on that. The other reason that inflation is such an insidious hidden tax is that whether you're a consumer or an investor, you can't predict it. You don't know what it's going to be. So Mm -hmm. you can't really plan. You can't control it. It's just the most, as we said at the beginning, just the most miserable tax of all. Now, there's a final sort of macro point that I think we ought to talk about because I think this, this may be the real worst problem with inflation. And we've hit on it before, but let's sort of drive this point home. Because inflation erodes the value of saving, and because inflation encourages you to buy now and pay for it later, inflation has the effect of encouraging consumption rather than saving an investment. And here at IPI, and for most free market economic groups and economists and all, we understand that what drives economic growth is saving an investment, not consumption. An, an economy is driven by the amount of saving and investment and risk-taking that's going on. So if you have a high enough level of inflation that it is sending a signal to people, don't save and invest so much, spend more, consume more, then that long-term undermines economic growth. And you want to talk about a misery index. Now you've got high inflation. Now you've got high unemployment. And now you've got the economy not growing as fast as it otherwise could. That's the real misery index. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics podcast. You can find more about the importance of markets and the danger of inflation at our website at IPI.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts and make them possible by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society, which you can find out more about at IPI.org as well. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.